What's going on, everyone, and welcome in to this edition of B-Shape Daily. Brendan Schaefer here with you in the evening hours of Monday, May 22nd, 2023. As tonight, we are breaking down a Cardinals loss, a tough loss in Cincinnati. Extra innings at the Great American Ballpark. Cardinals lose it 6-5, to dropping a series opener for the first time in a while now. The Cardinals had that unfortunate streak to begin the season where they lost every series opener and then they won I think four in a row but now they uh, head back in the other direction with this loss on Monday dropping in the standings to 21 and 28 so they had clawed to within six games of a 500 record and now a little bit of a backslide as uh, the Reds right there now in the standings with the Cardinals percentage points separating the two teams with the Cubs now actually a half game ahead of the Cardinals in the standings, and so they switch spots. The Cardinals fall back to fourth place in the NL Central, but I think that is only temporary, but it would behoove the Cardinals' top of the order to get things going. That's going to be a topic of discussion tonight, as will the continued hot streak of Paul DeYoung at the plate. He has looked so good. We'll talk Jordan Montgomery's outing as well, and maybe a little bit of the late-game strategy as it pertains to the Cardinals catcher situation. It was another Andrew Kisner start behind the plate for the Cardinals, and they have had a very particular way of doing things when Kisner starts and Contreras DHs. Trace Barrera is still on this roster for this specific scenario, and he did get into the game tonight. We'll talk about the impact that that had. A lot of Cardinals fans were getting upset on Twitter about maybe his performance a little bit behind the plate, and also that of the Cardinals manager, Ollie Marmel, when it came to Ryan Helsley's usage in the 10th inning. This is a narrative that I unequivocally reject that was gaining some steam from at least enough Cardinals fans on Twitter today that I felt it would be worthwhile to discuss it because if more than a few people are saying it, then it's a topic of conversation and one that I really would like to nip in the bud a little bit. I may not convince all Cardinals fans, but I had no problem with Ollie Marmel going to Ryan Helsley in the 10th inning there, and I'll also say this, Ryan Helsley and Ollie Marmel, neither of the two were uh, the reason the Cardinals lost this game tonight. So going to get into that and then some on tonight's B-Shape Daily. But before we jump right in, I want to remind you to follow B-Shape Daily on Spotify and subscribe to the new Brendan Schaefer St. Louis Cardinals writer YouTube channel. You can go to youtube.com slash at bshafer12 to find the show there, as well as all the rest of our Cardinals content throughout the season. Really hoping to get to that 1,000 subscriber mark soon. We're at 825 as of this recording. And so if you're watching or listening on YouTube, appreciate you for being here. Would love to have you subscribe to the channel. Click the like button on this video so that we can continue to reach more Cardinals fans as we build this thing up. I, I put it out on Twitter tonight asking whether people wanted a live video, uh, the stream that we have done so often on B-Shape Daily Live or pre-recorded. And the pre-recorded actually won the poll. So maybe everybody on a Monday feeling just uh, like going to bed and having me be the only person that has to stay up late to uh, to make this podcast happen, which I have no problem with. Sometimes those live videos get me a little bit. But at bshafer 12 on Twitter, you can always let me know what type of content you appreciate the most on this YouTube channel and on the Spotify for Bshafe Daily, Apple Podcasts and the like. I won't always be able to please everybody, but I think by the by the time the end of this season arrives, I will come to a conclusion on sort of the way to mix and match and make sure everybody's getting a little bit of what they appreciate the most. Some people like having the podcast to wake up to in the morning, but when I do a live video of the podcast, it ends up being an hour and 45 minutes long. It can tend to drag on a little bit at times, and that honestly is a strain on my voice when I do it that way as well. The, the weekend break when I went to Kansas City for the anniversary was a nice break for that a little bit. We will get back into the lives, but I think we might have to fine-tune them a little bit more so they, they don't go just so long. I've had people tell me, yeah, it's a little bit of a drag when it's that lengthy of a podcast. I enjoy it, but I just don't have time for it in my schedule. So at bshafer 12 I'm really asking each and every one of you uh, B-Shape Daily listeners to let me know what you like and what you think we could do a little bit better. Uh, but happy to get into the Cardinals contest tonight as we talk about a 6-5 to five loss. But before we do that, I do want to make sure we touch on this. We found out on Monday that the baseball world has lost a, a titan of the industry. Rick Hummel, longtime Cardinals writer for the St. Louis Post-Dispatch, died in his sleep early Saturday morning. A uh, wonderful obituary written by Derek Gould of the St. Louis Post-Dispatch was posted on stltoday.com. I recommend everybody go and check that out. If you're a Cardinals fan, there's no doubt you read Rick Hummel at one point or another throughout your Cardinals fandom. He has been 
an institution in St. Louis and around Cardinals baseball for 50-plus years, spent 50 years at the Post-Dispatch covering 51 different Cardinals baseball seasons, Talk about three World Series championships, seven National League pennants, 11 different managers, I believe, was the the number since Rick Hummel showed up at the Post-Dispatch in the early 70s and was just a wonderful man, the nicest guy you could ever hope to meet, and so welcoming, too, to, to people like me kind of coming up in this profession when Rick Hummel is on the tail end of his career. The commission was always so wonderful to folks like me uh, always had time for everybody and never made anybody feel small. That's a comment that I've seen time and time again from uh, the folks remembering Rick today, and it couldn't be more true. He never did. He made, he had time for you. There were always lessons to be learned and just incredible stories to be, uh, to be told by him and to be listened to by you. I don't know that there's anybody around that had just the, the wealth of experiences that Rick Hummel has had, uh, the things he has seen and done in the sports world, I, I think it's got to be pretty well unmatched, the, the different people that he knew and rubbed shoulders with. And, I mean, I'm not just talking baseball. He had just some stories that you wouldn't even believe about Muhammad Ali and greats from other sports. Uh, 50 years in the sports writing biz, he had the respect of everybody, uh, was a Hall of Famer, won the uh, ex- Excellence Award from the BBWAA in 2006, which got him in, enshrined into Cooperstown. So he is in the Hall of Fame, uh, the Baseball Hall of Fame. But for all of the great things he did as a as a journalist and as a sports writer, when you hear people say he was an even better person and a better human, that was true in my experience as well. It was a pleasure to get to know Rick, uh, the Kamish Hummel, and the you know somewhat limited experience I had with him compared to to others and those who have known him for decades and decades. I just showed up in uh, the St. Louis sports writing scene in 2016 after I graduated from Mizzou. But in that time, I got to watch Rick Hummel up close in him going about his business day to day and doing his job that he's done for decades and decades. So uh, he's going to be missed for sure. It's just crazy to think about the fact that he retired at the end of the 2022 season. And it really is a shame that he he ended up getting this illness and is not going to be able to enjoy a, a long, long retirement. But if we're being honest, I don't think he would have really been retired in the the sense of the way we think about retirement. Most people do because he was at the ballpark this year. He went to spring training, covering it for various outlets, uh, retired from the post-dispatch, but was still writing about baseball. Just earlier this season when the Cardinals uh, hosted the Toronto Blue Jays, I think that was the first series of the year. I'll remember that one of those weekend games, it wasn't the the opening day game, but one of the later ones, they're playing the uh, instrumental for O Canada to honor, you know, the Blue Jays. They do both the national anthem for uh, America and for Canada when they play Toronto. And there's Rick Hummel just singing it like nobody's listening in the press box, just absolutely going for it uh, to, to give his rendition of O Canada for the press box there uh, just because he felt like it. He could. I mean, that just one of the, the things I'll remember about Rick from just a, a few weeks ago. But there will be far more than that that sticks with me uh, about the life and career of, of the commish and getting to know him and to think about all the things he covered going back into the 70s and going 50 years forward and and imagining from those beginnings and covering Hall of Famers like Bob Gibson and Red Shane Deese and having close relationships with those guys and Lou Brock and just Cardinals legends in their own right. Rick Hummel, the commish, was there for for so much of this, and uh, it's just kind of amazing to think about. And and then you flash forward to, I, I remember back in like 2021, after COVID has gone on and we're up in the, the watchtower there at the Cardinals complex in Jupiter, Florida, I mean, to, to have a guy go from covering all of those amazing things of the, of the golden eras of Cardinals baseball. And then to think that, yeah, he's up in this watchtower because there's this thing called COVID now that 50 years later, uh, after his career began, we're all dealing with as a world and, and the commission is still at it after all that time. So just kind of amazing to think about, uh, the, the career of the commission. I don't think anything exemplifies it better than when you think about him kind of walking into the press box the number of times that he did this season. Again, after retiring from the post-dispatch after 50-plus years, he goes into the section of the ballpark that is literally named after him. It's the Bob Bregg-Rick Hummel press box. He's got his name on the building, but he's still showing up to work after being retired. That just shows you how much he... He craved it and loved the game of baseball and uh, just wanted to continue to be a part of it and would have been to the very end 
Um, you know, it feels like today the end for, for Rick Hummel came sooner than it should have. Uh, he's somebody that's going to be missed universally, uh, and I, I just feel lucky to have gotten to know him a little bit. So thinking about those at the Post-Dispatch who who really knew and worked with him uh, as coworkers on a day-to-day basis and, and his family and friends around the game of baseball, uh, Rick Hummel, the commission, was 77, and he sure will be missed by those who knew him, those who loved him, and those who read him. I thought Ben Fred of the Post-Dispatch had uh, as well some really lovely things that he wrote for SDL today about Rick Hummel after his passing. And one of the things I thought was interesting that he included in there was a recent text exchange between the commish and Ben Fred, where uh, commish had said, well, you know, I was one of the only ones, I was the only one, I think he said, in Paulie's corner, talking about the resurgence of Paul DeYoung. And I thought it was so fitting that Paul DeYoung ends up hitting the big home run today and, and came up with another big hit later on in the Cardinals' loss in Cincinnati tonight. Fitting little tribute there by DeYoung, who... Uh, yeah, Kamish was a, a guy in Paul DeYoung's corner and, and believing that the resurgence could be real seems to be the case, at least right now. We could talk about the positives that Paul DeYoung provided for the Cardinals in this game. He continues to be a force offensively. The problem was he can't do it on his own. And don't look now, but the last couple of nights for the Cardinals, the top of the batting order has really struggled. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time, the Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Really struggle. I think we might have talked about it a little bit last night, but the first three in the order last night, talking about Sunday's game, for the Cardinals were 0 for 14. And tonight it was even worse when you look at the first four batters in the order, a combined 0 for 17. Now, they did, between the four of them, come up with four bases on balls. They got four walks. But Edmund, Goldschmidt, Contreras, and Arenado were 1 through 4 in this order, a combined 0 for 17, four walks, and seven strikeouts. And I just thought, the top of the order kind of uh, set the pace a little bit tonight for the Cardinals, even though they end up scoring five runs. And even though guys like Paul DeYoung toward the bottom of the order will come away from this one with, with some very impressive line scores, a two for five outing, scoring a run on the homer and having four runs driven in. Uh, he did strike out the other three times he came to the plate, but we've talked about Paul DeYoung being an all or nothing sort of guy and how that's okay as long as you end up getting the power that goes with the strikeouts that he'll inevitably uh, come up with. And tonight, that was the case. He hits the three-run home run that takes the Cardinals from an 0-2 deficit to a 3-2 lead there in the second inning and ended up with a uh, double later on to retie the game in the eighth. Made it 5-5 to at that point and set up the extra inning situation that the Cardinals would eventually uh, fall victim to when it comes to the red scoring in the bottom of the 10th inning there on a walk-off sacrifice fly to right field. But, I mean, Paul DeYoung did his job, and the OPS now at 993 continues to be a wrecking crew, but he was kind of a one-man wrecking crew tonight for the Cardinals. Lars Newtbar with an RBI double that uh, gave the Cardinals their fourth run to tie the game at that point in time. But from there, the Cardinals' offensive contributions were rather few and far between. Uh, Mercado had a base knock, Kisner with a base knock, but it just seemed like the Cardinals tonight overall didn't have the best approach at the plate as a team one through nine. I just thought they looked a little bit off. I had tweeted this out in the middle of the game. It seemed like kind of a sleepy game outside of a couple of swings here and there for the Cardinals. You can look at the two from DeYoung where he uh, had the home run and then an RBI double and then the RBI double for Newt Bar. And it just seemed like a lot of the other at-bats, yeah, you had some base hits that were scattered here and there. But I just thought the at-bats looked a little bit wonky to me tonight. And some of those Coming from, like, the main guys in the lineup, Paul Goldschmidt looks like he's going through a little bit of a, a cold spell here, and I just thought the at-bat that he took late against Alexis Diaz just did not look right. The guy was not really throwing strikes at that point in time, had had pretty wild with his command, and so you would think, all right, you want to make him throw you a strike, but ends up swinging on a pitch way out of the zone and then kind of taking a pitch that was on the corner, good pitch by Diaz to get him to two strikes, and then you have Tommy Edmonds steal a base, but strike three ends up being another swing that's just a, a pitch well off the plate. Just those sorts of at-bats. We talked about early on in, in April when the Cardinals were really struggling, 
I had made the comment, and I talked about it here on B-Shape Daily, that it seemed like for a while the Cardinals were taking these at-bats where they were approaching things just very backwards. They were kind of on their heels where the, the pitches that they should maybe be swinging at were the ones they were taking in the strike zone, and that was getting them behind in counts and then forcing them to just swing at stuff that they really had no business chasing after. It seemed like that was something that cre- uh, creeped up tonight again in the Cardinals' approach at the plate. Maybe it's just a one-night thing, but for a, a game at Great American Ballpark, it didn't feel like the Cardinals were going to be able to put up that huge crooked number to be able to get over the hump after a start from Jordan Montgomery that wasn't his best. He just wasn't very efficient in this game. But a lot of times you get into these games at, at this ballpark and you think, well, you're never really out of it because you can just turn around and hit a few balls deep and find your way back into a game even if you're trailing. And the Cardinals managed to scratch and claw a couple different times. I mean, they were down 2-0 from the jump in the first inning, and then DeYoung with the home run to get him on top. Montgomery gives up some more runs. They come back with a Lars Newbar hit to tie the game up, and DeYoung even comes back one more time when they were down 5-4. They end up making it 5-5. So they came back three different times from a deficit tonight, but then they weren't able to get anything going in the top of the 10th inning despite having that uh, the Manford man, the automatic ghost runner that that is placed aboard for you. Cardinals uh, just couldn't get anything going. Brendan Donovan with a walk. That was about all they did in the inning. Otherwise, it was uh, some strikeouts and a flyout by Trace Pereira, who got into the game uh, because they earlier wanted to pinch hit for Andrew Kisner, trying to go for the offense there earlier on when things were tied. And I know I'm jumping between these topics a little bit, having a hard time deciding uh, where I want to begin with this, but I think I'll start with uh, continuing to hone in on that offense that top of the order, just for whatever reason right now, looks a little bit off with their games, and it wasn't Arenado yesterday. He had a fine game going three for four in Sunday's win, but then you come back to today's game, and Ofer for Arenado uh, just didn't look great at the plate. Paul Goldschmidt, again, didn't look super great at the plate, despite a couple of walks. Goes Ofer for 3. Edmund leading off. Yeah, I, I get it's against a lefty, but I just wonder if they, they might benefit from keeping Edmund down in the nine hole, even against lefties. Uh, because he's, he seemed to, or not even if it's the nine hole, but seven, eight, nine, he's done a nice job down in the batting order. And recently it seems like ha- has not been as successful in that leadoff spot, but I'm not a hundred percent sure that you can necessarily make super bold declarations about what that means. It's just didn't have a great night tonight, despite being in there at the leadoff spot against the lefty. Contreras has struggled as well. The OPS now has dipped all the way down to seven fourteen. They had Contreras in the lineup tonight as the DH with Kisner catching, but his offense has sort of come and gone. He's had the big games for the Cardinals, but day-to-day uh, has not been super strong recently for Contreras. And, and even Arenado with the 0-for-5 today and the, th- the three strikeouts, he really struggled at the plate for the Cardinals. I don't think there's any huge declaration to be made about this, like I said, but do want to mention it, that that's really two nights in a row. You just didn't notice it on Sunday with the, uh, the 0 for 14, I think it was, from the top three guys in the order because the Cardinals were able to come up with a huge win and, and win 10-5 to at the bottom of the order really came through for St. Louis in that last game of the Dodgers series. But not so the case tonight as the Cardinals lose it 6-5. to They got themselves in a bit of a hole. We'll talk about Montgomery here real quick, and then I want to get into still the whole Trace Barrera situation and what we think about still having that third catcher on the roster And then Ryan Helsley, what I thought of his night, those two things sort of collide into one topic almost when you consider one of the key pitches that happened there in the bottom of the 10th inning. But Jordan Montgomery, I thought, was just not himself today. He had had some situations where he wasn't helped out by the umpire. I don't think the umpire scorecard is going to be ultimately very friendly uh, to tonight's home plate umpire. Had one there, and I think it was the fifth inning that would have had him out of the inning, but uh, just another bad call on a, a pitch that was in the strike zone, and it just, I don't know what the umpire was looking for, but Monty doesn't get the call, and then he ends up extending. I, it, it may have been the fifth. I forget which inning offhand, but it was the inning where Matt McLean had like a 12 or 13 pitch at bat. It just really, the efficiency was not something that was easy to come by tonight for Montgomery, who only threw 88 pitches, but he only threw four innings and uh, gives up four runs. All of them earned seven hits, three walks, and a home run in this game that he gave up to Steer of Cincinnati. That was one of the ones to put the Reds ahead earlier on in this game after DeYoung's home run had given the Cardinals the lead. Yeah, a little bit of a back-and-forth game like you expect at Great American Ballpark, but it didn't help that in that ballpark you had Montgomery just not really sharp with his command, and then you have one or two instances where an umpire squeezes you 
And from there, it's like, man, it feels like you can't win. And remember, he's a guy that last week said, well, he was pissed off because the Cardinals didn't win his start, and he really didn't pitch all that poorly, just a couple of pitches get away from you. But this start, I would say he really didn't pitch well, and that was reflected in the box score. I think the game that uh, you see there with the four innings, the four runs on 10 base runners, and the four strikeouts with a homer allowed is essentially what Jordan Montgomery put out there tonight. 88 pitches, 57 strikes. So it's not like he was throwing half his pitches for balls, but just in counts and situations where he needed to bear down with two strikes, I didn't think the execution was quite there for him. I'm sure he would have agreed with that. I didn't see his comments post game. only watched uh, what they put on Bally for Ollie Marmel. But Montgomery only going four innings, it puts you, it puts you behind the eight ball if you're the Cardinals, especially continuing in this string of days where you don't have all off days coming up. They don't have one until June 1st, which then they very strangely get two consecutive off days in a non-All-Star break situation. I honestly cannot tell you the last time that's happened. I don't remember it ever happening. I'm sure some baseball historian could tell me, yeah, here's where it is, and they'll be able to look that up. But I just was very surprised to see that on the schedule after the two-game series against the Royals on Memorial Day and the Tuesday that follows. The Cardinals will have two off days, but they don't have any until then, and they still have that six-man rotation thing going on. Yes, Matthew Libertor was used as a reliever yesterday because of the situation with the bullpen and the fact that you don't have as many relievers out there as you normally do when Libby is sort of acting as that sixth starter. And the Cardinals will end up having him pitch somewhere on this road trip. That that appearance, again, as we talked about last night, on Sunday did not preclude him from getting into uh, a starting action later on, probably in the Cleveland series. I don't know if that's been announced yet by the Cardinals, but not going to get into the order of operations there. I do believe it's Adam Wainwright on the mound for the Cardinals on Tuesday with Mats and Miles Michaelis to follow up wrapping the series on Thursday in Cincinnati. And Michaelis is going to be taking on Luke Weaver, former Cardinal that the Cardinals have not really seen in a while. So that'll be interesting to see there. But I assume that leaves Libertor for the Cleveland series over the weekend. But when you have those situations going on in your Jordan Montgomery, it's hard to say he's the ace of the staff, right? I mean, his ERA now is up to 4.55. We know that universally the Cardinals rotation has struggled. But when you're Montgomery and you're a guy that was brought in when they traded for him, when they gave up Harrison Bader to do it, who's off to a great start to the Yankees uh, season this year, they need him to give innings. They need six or seven out of Montgomery pretty much every time he goes out there. And his efficiency has just not been there recently particularly in this game. Three walks is more walks than you really expect of Montgomery, but I feel like we've had a few starts for him recently where we have said that, and he's just not been as nails when he gets ahead and counts, wasted a number of pitches instead of being able to to really mow through those those guys in that Cincinnati lineup tonight. Just did not end up being the case, and that costs you. Luckily, Palante was able to give you two innings, but he gives up a run in the process. Relievers aren't always going to be perfect either. It just puts the Cardinals in a bind, especially now in a game where you go to extras and you're thinking, well, why is Ali Marmel sticking with Ryan Helsley there for the bottom of the 10th inning when he knows that Ryan Helsley is not good the second time he he has to get up for a game? In the second inning of an outing, Ryan Helsley, you know, everybody knows this. That's the way that Twitter had described it to me. I'll be able to give you the numbers on that when we talk about it here in a minute. But I think that's the takeaway. Even in a game where the Cardinals don't get blown out because the starting pitcher was awful, there are, there are days like that. Haven't been too many of them recently. But I still feel like it's important in a game that goes extra innings to highlight and remember the performance of the starting pitcher because there is a cascading effect that will take place on the rest of the roster and in particular the bullpen when you only get four innings out of your starting pitcher. The bullpen, by and large, did a really nice job tonight for the Cardinals, but Montgomery's outing puts them in a bit of a bind. And if the Cardinals are ultimately going to make their way out of this hole that they're in, in the division, it's got to come with more consistency from the rotation. They've been able to get away with kind of some average to to mediocre to sometimes good, but sometimes subpar starting pitching over the last couple of weeks. Like even as they have won a bunch of games, I think it was 11 out of 14 before the loss tonight. The starting pitching has not just been amazing, right? They've had some decent outings. Michaelis going seven the other day is is more along the lines of what the Cardinals really need from this group. But to, to mix in too many of those four-inning outings and the four-and-two-thirds that Jack gave and Steven Matz gave the other day, it's a troubling trend that I, I feel very good about where the Cardinals are at right now after they've sort of 
leveled off following the 10 and 24 start that really put them in a bind. I feel like they're in a much better place now, but we shouldn't fool ourselves into believing that it couldn't just as easily slide back into a very dangerous and precarious position. When you look at the standings, if the starting pitching doesn't more consistently bring those five plus six, seven inning outings to the table, like the Cardinals bullpen really needs them to do. It's really about the relief pitching more than anything else, because you can't reasonably expect, especially in these long stretches where there are no days off, the relievers should just be able to get up every day and come in and be ready to pitch. The Cardinals today used Andre Pallante for two innings. They used Jordan Hicks, who looked fantastic, Gallegos, who looked excellent, and Ryan Helsley, who was great for his first inning, and we'll talk about the 10th. But they used pretty much all the prime guys from the right side of the bullpen, and they didn't get anything to show for it. Like, the Cardinals lost this game, and they still burned some of these relievers that are now not going to be available uh, for the days ahead. I feel like Ryan Helsley throwing 23 pitches, we'll see. But if you give him an up-down and getting back up, I feel like that's going to take him out of action for Tuesday. Gallegos usually can, can bounce back pretty quickly. Only 16 pitches tonight. Hicks through 15. And so we'll see what it looks like for either of those guys. I imagine you won't see Palante after 30 pitches, but stranger things have happened. The point is, you put them in a bind, you really go for it by using your best guys in a, a game where you're down by one, and then you tie it up, and ultimately, you still can't get the win. That hurts, and that's a, a decision that could have some ramifications down the road. I thought Ollie managed the game aggressively like he needs to do. Like, he's a team... Uh, where he's managing a team that's 21 and 27 coming into this game and, and needs to try to make its way back to 500 as quickly as possible. Now they're 21 and 28 after the loss. Cincy at 20 and 27, virtually tied. The Cardinals have the edge by just a couple of percentage points in the NL Central standings, keeping the Cardinals, at least for the moment, out of the basement. But we can't just pretend that because they've climbed the mountain out of fifth and then they got up to third, that they can't just as easily slide back down into last place if they don't handle their business this week against the Reds. And they weren't able to do it to begin things tonight. It's a little bit of a of a rough omen, I think, to start this series. The fact that you went and scrapped for 10 innings and you used up a lot of energy from that bullpen to be able to hang in that game late and then were not able to, to overcome it. And that's why when I look at the reason the Cardinals lost this game, yes, I, I wanted to make sure I started with Montgomery and the fact that, well, we can demonstrate how much more difficult you make life on your team if you don't go deep as a starting pitcher. Uh, the bullpen did a very fine job tonight, but it wasn't enough as the Cardinals couldn't overcome that that short start by Montgomery. But what else they couldn't overcome was the other thing we talked about, and that was the offensive performance by this team, uh, especially the guys at the top of the order. If you take away Paul DeYoung and a couple guys here and there, Lars Newbar didn't start this game, but had a nice performance going one for two with a walk when he did get into it. He took the spot of Juan Yepes, who did his job, two at-bats, got on base twice with a hit and a walk. Uh, you know, Mercado with a hit, Andrew Kisner with a hit. It, it was like they scattered the opportunities. You get nine walks and seven hits in this game, you need to be able to score more than five runs at Great American Ballpark. So even though they got to five, I look at it as a failure tonight by the offense uh, as a whole because they weren't able to take full advantage of the opportunities that they did have. Team with runners in scoring position, they went three for 16, and they left 12 men on base um, with two out. Edmund Gorman with three runners left on base tonight. Goldie and Donovan uh, do it as well. Yeah, that ends up being a, a troubling situation for a Cardinals team that uh, could have used this win tonight to, to kick off another series in their favor and continue kind of making that climb. They weren't able to make it happen. I'm blaming the offense and also looking at it as saying, yeah, Montgomery needs to be able to give this team more so that he doesn't put the bullpen in that spot. But the other thing I want to talk about, because a lot of people on Twitter, if you say, hey, why did the Cardinals lose this game tonight? They might not immediately point to the offensive woes because they'd say, well, you scored five runs. That ought to be enough on, on a lot of nights. And in, in some cases, you're going to be right. But for me, I want to make clear that it was not Ryan Helsley, and to me, it was not Ollie Marmel. A lot of folks on Twitter wondering about the decision by Ollie to go back to Ryan Helsley for the bottom of the 10th inning. And here's what sets up that situation in the first place. And it, what honestly should have happened there was Ryan Helsley with a lead to try and close things out for the Cardinals. It wouldn't have been a save situation because it would have been a second inning of work regardless. And they didn't have the lead when he came into the game. But the Cardinals get the man on second base to begin the 10th inning just as same as the Reds ultimately did. And that becomes the winning run for them. 
Cardinals get that spot. DeYoung strikes out. Tough A.B. with the strikeout. Trace Pereira comes in and he flies out. Brennan Donovan gets the walk. You had opportunities in that inning. Tommy Edmond strikes out. And they did everything they really could have hoped to have done by getting Alexis Diaz, the great Reds closer, out of the game sooner than that. I mean, they had the bases loaded as well in the ninth inning. You could look at it that way and say Nolan Gorman with the strikeout. And I know he has been the man, the myth, the legend as of late for the Cardinals, but they were working counts really nicely for the most part against Alexis Diaz. Goldschmidt took probably his worst at bat of the season in that ninth inning. I'll say that. The strikeout swinging that he had, he only saw one pitch that was in the strike zone, and he didn't swing at it. And it was honestly a borderline pitch, not one he could have drove unless he was really looking fastball away. He could have probably driven it to the opposite field. But it just was not a comfortable looking at bat for Paul Goldschmidt, guy who's one of the best Cardinals hitters on this team. So I don't have a lot of negative to say about it. It's just the reality that that I think was the most unfortunate at bat maybe that he's taken all season. Tommy Edmond walked in the inning. Wilson Contreras walks and Lars Newbar draws a walk. All tough at bats, all guys that are grinding up there. And then just a tough strikeout for Nolan Gorman against one of the better closers in baseball and a guy who's absolutely nasty. And he's also got a little bit of that wildness factor going on as he did there in that situation. Uh, Nolan Arenado also struck out in the inning as well. So you offset three walks with three strikeouts and the Cardinals are unable to score there in the ninth. They have runners on first and second, ultimately in the 10th, and they can't get a run across. That to me is where this Cardinals game is lost, not on any other decisions or anything that took place. But the Barrera thing and the Helsley thing are two things that people want to talk about. So actually, let me get into Barrera first and talk about why he was in this game to begin with tonight and then how that parlayed a little bit into the usage of Ryan Helsley and where things went off the rails for the Cardinals, ultimately in the bottom of the 10th. Like I said, I think that they already had. As as that inning was over in the top of the 10th and you were going to the bottom half of the inning, I kind of figured they'd go back to Ryan Helsley it's a decision that's difficult because as far as we know, you know, Ollie Marmel knows this better than we do watching as outsiders, but he may have already been aware of the fact that, hey, Ryan Helsley, whether he pitches here or not, is going to be unavailable for Tuesday's game. It, you know, he doesn't often go back-to-back anyway, and so that just may have been a spot where we wouldn't have seen Ryan Helsley anyway tomorrow, and Ollie says, let's go aggressive and try to see if we can't get through this and give another crack to our offense by getting to the 11th inning. He makes the decision to stick with in there. Had already gone very aggressive with the bullpen usage, about as aggressive as you can go by putting Gallegos and Helsley and Jordan Hicks into the same game. Obviously not an ideal situation when your starter only goes four and you've only got the seven relievers at your disposal that you have. But Ollie was using the primary guys today, right? Like you could have gone Verhagen and thrown him into this game in the bottom of the 10th but you're talking about a guy automatically on second. I don't know if there's a better person to have in the game anyway than Ryan Helsley. And if you burn Verhagen and still don't win the game, then it's like, wow, you've used basically your entire bullpen, didn't win, and now that puts yourself in a really rough situation for Tuesday, which honestly they're already going to be in. And so I don't have any issue with going to Helsley there, but I want to talk about Barrera and then how those two coincided for uh, the wild pitch situation that came up in the bottom of the 10th, and whether Ryan Helsley actually has this track record of he can't come back out for the second inning of work. Ali Marmel should know this and shouldn't have put him in that spot to begin with. Here's why Trace Pereira, though, is in that game. He has been the third catcher on the Cardinals since the day the team announced that Wilson Gutierrez was not going to catch for a while, right? We have seen him hardly at all. He has not made a single start. And in the games where he does come in to catch, it's usually in a late-inning spot on a day where Wilson Contreras was the DH and Andrew Kisner was the starting catcher. That has been the scenario. Even after Contreras has now come back and has been uh, a catcher again for the Cardinals, and he is their primary catcher despite the fact that he wasn't behind the plate tonight, uh, the reason for that is rather simple. When did Yadier Molina ever catch 162 games, right? And if Yadi wasn't doing it, that means nobody's doing it. And so you're going to give breaks here and there to get Contreras off of his feet as a catcher, just like you would any other catcher. And the Cardinals have chosen selectively to do that in times where they are facing a left-handed pitcher on the other side, which would allow Andrew Kisner's bat in the lineup because they like the matchup of Kiz batting against a lefty. And he did have a hit tonight. Uh, I believe that came against the starter Williamson for Cincinnati. And so that's like the thought process behind that. But then you get into late-game situations with Kisner, and he's batting at the bottom of your lineup, 
and you're not always going to see a lefty reliever, and putting him out there against hard-throwing righties that have good, nasty, breaking stuff is not usually going to be a matchup that favors the Cardinals. He's more of a light-hitting catcher. He can fare well against lefties. They don't mind the matchup there. But in some of those situations, you're very frequently, honestly, going to have a left-handed swinging bat off your bench that you feel much better about the matchup with when it comes to facing a, a tough righty have a lefty bat instead of Andrew Kisner. It makes a lot of sense from a strategic standpoint. But what would happen then on these days where Kisner starts and Contreras is the DH is that you'd need somebody then to fill in behind the plate after the pinch hitting scenario for Kisner takes place. And if it's Wilson Contreras, you have now burned the designated hitter and ultimately would need to have a pitcher pinch hit, have something take play I, I assume you are allowed legally to still have a pincher uh, pitcher pinch hit even though those guys um, don't bat anymore for themselves if your bench is empty in an extra inning game I don't know what else you're to do so that would be the situation if you basically put Contreras behind the plate he began the game as the DH now the DH is gone and so whoever's in that nine spot you know that guy doesn't exist that's essentially the pitcher that would would be in that spot for the Cardinals and would then therefore have to come into bat or you pinch hit or whatever you do if you've got somebody left on the bench. Rather than put themselves in that situation, the Cardinals have Trace Pereira. They don't have to burn the DH with going Contreras behind the plate. They can give him a full day off behind the plate, which is kind of the point a lot of times of him being in the DH spot to begin with to get him off his feet for those defensive opportunities. And you have Pereira, who is a catcher, go behind the plate and catch the end of the game. But in these types of games, like you saw Monday, I think it's gotten maybe to the point where the Cardinals should reconsider this strategy. And after the game, Ollie Marmel was asked about it and asked about the pitch that Ryan Helsley spiked that went as a wild pitch and uh, Trace Barrera was not able to keep it in front of him. And so the Manfred man, the automatic base runner, got to advance from second base to third base putting him just 90 feet away from scoring that winning run, which is ultimately what happened on the sacrifice fly that ended the game. In the 10th inning, Ryan Helsley walked the batter and, and gave up a flyout. That is all that happened in the 10th inning. For those who say, all he should know that he can't pitch a second inning in a game, it always goes to hell in a handbasket when he does that. That's the reality of, of the, the evening for Ryan Helsley in the 10th. He had a really good ninth inning, looked really sharp, sat down, came back out for the 10th, he walked Tyler Stevenson, and then he gives up a sacrifice fly that ends the game. Now, the reason the runner was on third base was because he spiked a pitch, and it was a triple-digit pitch, if I'm not mistaken, that Trace Pereira just simply wasn't able to keep in front of him. And that's a tough ask for a catcher, any catcher, but especially a catcher coming off the bench. They rolled it a wild pitch, which is to say it was not the fault of Trace Pereira. The official scorer gave the blame to Ryan Helsley for the pitch, which was definitely spiked, and it was far away from the plate and a tough one to keep in front. You'd like to see your catcher keep that one in front, which is why I think Barrera ends up catching a little bit of flack from the social media crowd for that situation because that is a bad time to have an advance for a runner, even if it is a wild pitch and not a pass ball. It's about as bad of a time as you can come up with because now there's just infinite number of ways for the Reds to score that run. Uh, still nobody out in the inning. You had walked, I believe it was Stevenson, after after falling behind him in a 3-0 count. Bad situation to be in. Ryan Helsley's command did look off there in the 10th inning, but I just want to remind people that it wasn't like he had this awful long inning that just, you know, nothing was going right. He walked a guy, and if you don't have the situation where there's a runner on second that you didn't put there that isn't your fault but is just a reality of the game at this point with the rules the way that they are, if you don't have that situation, the wild pitch isn't really a big deal because it doesn't exist. Like, it's not a problem that puts a runner in scoring position there at that point. Uh, or I shouldn't say scoring position. That's where Steer began the inning. Spencer Steer was the Manfred man. He ends up at third base 90 feet away because of that wild pitch. He walks a guy. He gives up a fly out. The inning would still be going if not for the, the rule change that happened in the COVID season that they have maintained. And, yes, it means for quicker games – but it also meant in a night like tonight that when the Cardinals did not score in the top of the 10th, I thought, I just don't see a way they win this game. You're asking a lot of Helsley. You'd be asking a lot of your bullpen if you go to anybody but Helsley. And if there's anybody who has the stuff to be able to keep that guy stationed on second base, to me, it would be the Cardinals closer. And it just didn't work out. Cardinals had two shots with a total of five men on base between the ninth inning and the 10th inning. And they did not find a way to get any of those runners home. 
And to me, that's where you lose the game. But I understand the skepticism and the criticism of Ryan Helsley and Ollie Marmel because that's the way, that's what you see when the game is over, right? That's the final indelible image is that it's a fly ball to the outfield. The guy scores from third after Ryan Helsley's wild pitch moved him over. And another aspect of this when it comes to Trace Pereira and his involvement behind the plate was that in the previous inning, uh, I believe it was Will Myers who stole a base against uh, against the uh, the catcher there, Trace Pereira. And Myers is very much not the kind of guy that you expect to be able to to run on you. And so Cardinals fans, I think, were a little bit antsy already about that. And I kind of understand it. Like, I don't have a lot negative to say about Trace Pereira as a defender. Again, Ollie Marmel was asked about it after the game. I think it was J.D., John Denton, that asked the question. And Ollie said... The reaction from Ollie was very clear that, and he doesn't read Twitter, but if he did, he would have been very confused, I think, by uh, the fact that that was a, a talking point for a lot of people watching the game. Cardinals don't really view it that way. They just didn't have any issue. They don't have any issue moving forward with Barreras catching, called him a good receiver, and that's just a spot with the Helsley pitch that it's ruled a wild pitch and uh, just one of those plays that the timeliness of it ends up costing the Cardinals, but there's no like referendum, at least according to the way that Ollie Marmel talked about it after the game, on the catching and receiving ability of Trace Pereira as a Cardinal catcher. But even if he isn't, you know, a liability behind the plate, which I, I think the Cardinals clearly don't believe that he is or he wouldn't be here, but even if he's just fine, I don't think he's excellent, but even if he's just fine and happened to have had a bad day, I want to break it down a little bit further and, and kind of discuss the strategy of what that decision process ends up being because this is something that happens, I would say, multiple times per week. Because if Contreras is going to catch four or five games a week, Kisner's going to catch the other two, and then you're going to probably have a late-game situation where they are going to be compelled to pinch hit for Andrew Kisner. And I think all of those things I'm fine with. Like, I, I get that you want to have your catcher DH because he's an $87.5 million bat that you brought in, not only because he can fill a hole behind the plate for you, but because of what he's supposed to be able to bring to your lineup. And so on days where he doesn't catch, if he feels up to it to bat, you want him in there as the DH. And yes, it creates some complications for your roster, but that's just the reality of the decision the Cardinals made when they signed Contreras. They knew he wasn't going to catch 160 games a year, and they were going to want to have his at-bat uh, available to the team at other points when he is going to uh, to be on the bench defensively. But what I think is most interesting about this is when you look at the saga the Cardinals went through with Contreras, benching him from behind the plate, because he needed to be on the same page with his pitchers. He needed to be uh, better in his ability to call a game for them. You have that whole thing play out, and now you have, in an eighth inning, ninth inning, tenth inning situation, where the Cardinals need every win that they can get, you have Trace Barrera catching, who wasn't you know, even fit in the Cardinals' mind to start one time when Andrew Kisner was getting all of those games during the, the hiatus for Contreras. Kisner started every game, unless I missed one and fell into a black hole. They never did start Trace Pereira. They gave they gave Kiz every single opportunity there. And so that's not to say they don't trust Pereira, but it's like he's very clearly the break glass in case of emergency catcher. They have him for these very specific scenarios. He's, he's the 26th man basically on the roster, and he's only going to come in on days where Kisner catches, Contreras DHs, and they need to pinch hit for Kisner late. But my thing is, that 8-9 spot in the lineup, whatever it would be, I think it was Kisner batting ninth today, I assume, because that's been basically the way that it's been. But I want to double-check so I don't speak out of turn on this one and give you false information. Yeah, it was Kisner that was batting ninth in the Cardinals lineup. And so when Brendan Donovan ends up batting for him, all right, that's when you have to make the switch, and we see Contreras just remain the DH, but Barrera come into the game. And because you had multiple pinch hitters in that inning, with Burleson taking the spot of Oscar Mercado because the Cardinals, after Paul DeYoung tied it, were really trying to get ahead and not have this game go into extra innings. And there are times where Ollie Marmel, you can tell if you look at the way things are being approached, they are managing to win the game now because they believe that's their best opportunity to do it. And they don't ultimately think that an extra inning game is going to suit them particularly well. And so they, they go aggressive. They basically empty their bench. And that's kind of what the situation was there for the Cardinals. All 13 guys ended up getting into the game, and they didn't leave anybody on their bench. So they they emptied the chamber. Ollie Marmel going for it with pinch hitters, Burleson, Donovan, to try and take advantage of that situation after Paul DeYoung gave the Cardinals the boost there by tying the game 5-5. Five to five. 
Didn't end up working out. They weren't able to bring the runners home there in the eighth. They weren't able to bring anyone home in the ninth when they loaded the bases. And same thing when they had first and second in the tenth. Now, Trace Pereira, in a rarity, actually did get an at-bat in this game. Normally, when he comes in late as a defensive replacement, he might just catch an inning or two and wouldn't be scheduled to come up to bat for another whole time through the lineup. In this case, he actually ended up batting in, according to the box score, I think this is right, because his at-bat ends up preceding Donovan's at-bat. They actually have Barrera's spot come up one time sooner in the order because of how aggressively they approached it. Uh, Donovan ends up taking over the nine-hole and Barrera the eight spot, which was originally occupied by Mercado. And so in that spot, they don't have anybody that they can turn around and bring into the game. Even if they wanted to pinch hit for Barrera there, there's nobody left on the bench. But my point would be, if you just decided, hey, Wilson Contreras is going to catch this game because we believe defensively he's the guy we paid $87.5 million to, and if we're doing all of these other things aggressively to try to win this game, we're aggressively going to put the best, most capable catcher that we have available at our disposal behind the plate for the final two, three innings, whatever it ends up taking to try and win this game. And yes, we're going to burn the DH in the process of doing that. And the reason that it doesn't bother me all that much, and you you may disagree with this, in most cases, the Cardinals are going to have somebody that they can pinch hit in that spot for the DH. Because again, if you burn the DH, now it's the pitcher's spot. And under any other circumstance, that would have been in, in the nine hole. But again, because they pinch hit both Burleson and then Donovan there in the eighth inning, the catcher spot ended up being the eighth spot. And so that's where uh, Barrera ended up being, and he hit. But normally you'd have that in the nine hole if that's where Kisner begins. And it would take a a whole entire trip through the batting order to be able to get back to that spot. And so if you were just to say we're going to give up voluntarily the DH, which would really go well on Twitter and people would lose their collective minds, but comparing it to what they ended up doing, which is, in my opinion, putting a a catcher behind the plate that is – has not been in the action. Obviously, you know, major league caliber, the Cardinals believe, but as a guy that has not had all that much experience with this pitching staff, if that was a thing for Wilson Contreras, I don't know why it would still not be a thing for Trace Barrera, uh, who has just been a a reserve guy and and had not been around in the major leagues with the Cardinals before this season. But they're going to put him into the most high-pressure, leverage situation of the game behind the plate defensively, And he ends up not being able to handle that pitch from Helsley, which, again, is not to say that Contreras would have or even that Andrew Kisner would have, but it is the situation that he allowed that base runner, Will Myers, to uh, steal second in the earlier inning and then in the 10th ends up allowing that base runner to go from second to third on the Ryan Helsley wild pitch, which, again, was not a pass ball. It was charged to Helsley, and a lot of people commented on Twitter and said, well, what was he supposed to do about that? That was triple digits, nowhere near where he expected it to be, where the target was being set. That was just an overcooked pitch by Ryan Helsley that that he needs to get closer to the intended target, and that's who you who you fault for that pitch, which I could totally understand. But my point is that especially in a situation where you do have somebody left on your bench, which tonight I acknowledge that the Cardinals did not because they had burned Burleson, but in a situation where you do, I would rather just let the lineup turn over, have the catcher that, you paid $87.5 million to be the guy behind the plate, catch the remainder of the game, and then if by some unfortunate circumstance you do get to Barrera's spot again in this game, what would have been Barrera's spot, but it's now the pitcher because we've said Barrera's not here and is not coming into this game, then you would just pinch hit somebody else. Or even in that spot, by the way, you could do this. I'm talking myself into it even more now because I kind of forgot this aspect of it. You could pinch hit Trace Barrera in that spot if you had to. He wouldn't come into the game as the catcher, but you would still have the exact same guy bat, but you would have had Contreras there instead. The burning the DH, especially that late in a game, unless you go 13, 14 innings, is not at all going to be a problem. It wouldn't have been. If the Cardinals would not have considered Barrera, they would have pinch hit just the same as they did with Burleson batting in the eighth spot for Mercado and then Brendan Donovan batting in the nine spot for Kisner. They could have put that nine spot as the pitching as the pitcher that would have come in. Like Ryan Helsley would have been in the lineup in that spot in the nine hole. And if by some chance that spot should come up, which it ultimately did in the form of uh, Brendan Donovan. So I guess I should correct that. If they want to go Burleson Donovan and Burleson is the guy that they're removing, 
that then would have to be the pitcher spot. So it would be the eighth spot, the same as it ended up being when Barrera flied out to center in the 10th inning tonight for the Cardinals in the one at bat that he did get. So that part would remain constant. But if that were the way that it was going to be, you would just be able to bat Barrera there if you wanted. Now, I recognize, too, you would you'd lose Ryan Helsley. You would actually have to bring in Verhagen or another pitcher there as we sort of think through all the machinations of this. And that may be the spot where Ali Marmel would disagree with this line of thinking. Actually, he might disagree with the entire thing because the premise is that Barrera is a uh, an inferior catcher compared to what you'd get from Kisner or Contreras behind the plate. And the Cardinals clearly trust Barrera to be in these situations, even though folks on Twitter maybe don't. And so the whole thing would probably be considered ridiculous by the Cardinals manager, and that might be completely fair. We're getting pretty deep down the rabbit hole here when you talk about, yeah, we're going to voluntarily give up the DH. Uh, I admit we're far down the rabbit hole, but I think it's kind of an interesting conversation there. For folks who didn't think Ryan Helsley should be in for a second inning anyway, which I I do disagree with those folks, so I'm going to kind of play this on both sides of it. Um, But we also don't have to live in the world where the Cardinals would consider giving up a DH because it's clear that this was not a thought process for them. But my whole thing is if you do give up the DH and you want to have the same exact guy that would have been batting there, you could have still had Trace Barrera bat in the 10th inning, same result. Obviously, you're not going to let Ryan Helsley bat for himself. And so I understand that if you don't want to go to another pitcher there for the bottom of the 10th inning, this all becomes kind of a non-starter because you're not going to have the potential go-ahead run on base by the Manford man and have a pitcher batting in that spot, even if it is a pitcher like Steven Matz or Adam Wainwright that I would have thought, yeah, they could come into taking it bat. You're just not going to do anything like that. And they wanted, they wanted to have Helsley going for that second inning, but all of this is down the road, galaxy brain stuff for me. Just wondering if trace Barrera in his position on the roster makes sense for the Cardinals at this point in time, if he wasn't around, you'd have another position player there that could have taken that at bat. And so when you burn the DH, it wouldn't necessarily be the end of the world because odds are that spot in the order is not going to come up twice. And if it does come up once, as long as you've got a guy on the bench that can take that at bat, all it really means is you're pinch hitting for the pitcher and you've got to bring another pitcher in. A lot of different ways that that could have gone. The Cardinals seem to believe that Trace Barrera is a good enough defender to have this still be a worthwhile way to treat the situations where Kisner catches and Contreras DHs. I don't really think it's necessarily the case. It it doesn't seem like an effective use of your roster to have three catchers, and it does happen a lot. Like, when Kisner catches, this situation is almost guaranteed to come up because if it's a close game, they're going to look to pinch hit for Andrew Kisner when he has to face a righty reliever and they've got good lefty bats off the bench. It does happen more often than you'd think, but even if it's two or three times a week, I don't think that's enough to justify it to have an entire spot on the roster in Barrera for it when he may not be all that effective behind the plate anyway, uh, I think he's probably fine and just happened to have maybe a subpar night. That's the way the Cardinals seem to view it. They may not even think he had a bad night, but Cardinals fans that were watching it certainly did. And from my perspective, I was a little disappointed to say, hey, if you're going to go through all this trouble to have this guy on the roster, he's at least got to be a stalwart defensively because otherwise you're trusting the most important part of a close game to a catcher who you could basically say, all the things you accuse Wilson Contreras of being behind the plate, this guy is. If he's not as experienced with the pitchers and he's not as crisp defensively, why would you feel comfortable enough uh, putting that that kind of player behind the plate in the most clutch situations of the game when you went a whole week, week and a half having Contreras not catch at all because you wanted to make sure he was a little bit sharper in those areas? I just think that's where it maybe doesn't add up completely for me. And again, where I may be off base is that the Cardinals think Barrera is a great catcher defensively, and so there's no issue there. I just think it's maybe a waste of a roster spot. And even if you had gone through the extreme length of burning the DH tonight in a world in which you did not have Barrera on the roster and instead you had, I don't know, pick anybody from Memphis, uh, Luke and Baker you'd have to do a 40-man spot for, but just any bat off the bench that would be able to uh, step into that situation as um, kind of the final line of defense from a position player standpoint could have batted there. And then you got to consider the Ryan Helsley situation and the fact that you would have to use another pitcher, but it just seems like we're going so deep down the rabbit hole for a situation that I don't know if the Cardinals are really maximizing their roster with the way it's set up uh, with Trace Pereira. I know this was a little bit rambly and a lot, got a lot of different thoughts when we get into hypotheticals. And so if anybody had a little bit of hard time following exactly what I mean here, 
Um, let me know at B Schaefer 12 on Twitter in a message and we can kind of talk through it. But I, I think the main takeaway is the same thing that Cardinals fans are questioning. I am still wondering if Trace Pereira's position on the roster is being fully maximized when the Cardinals could maybe be going a different direction with that bench spot. Um, because again, this is not like it's a situation that's never going to happen. Andrew Kisner is going to catch a decent amount. Contreras is going to often DH on those days. And so you'll be late game looking to have this spot. But if it's the eighth inning or later, you can pretty well burn the DH unless you're expecting the the reliever to need to go multiple, multiple innings and you don't want to pinch hit for him. I just feel like that might be a better way to go than to just move mountains to have an entire spot designated for a third catcher on this active roster. Now, here's the other part of this, though. You guys were upset about Ryan Helsley and the fact that he was pitching in the second inning of a game because the premise that a lot of people had was that everybody knows Ryan Helsley can't throw more than one inning. He starts to fall apart, and I can't believe that Ollie Marmel would allow this to happen. Uh, it's just it's just bananas. That's the premise. Here's what I'll give you in terms of the earned runs allowed by Ryan Helsley uh, including tonight, because I, I don't think that's an earned run, right? That cannot possibly be an earned run because it was a guy on second base. I guess I got to look at the box score on this. Give me a second. I'll be able to do it. You might be saying, Brendan, you can pause it. It's a podcast that you're recording, not live. You can totally pause this right now, and nobody would be any the wiser that you did it. Instead, you're just talking. Yeah, guys, because I'm dumb. Yeah, it was not an earned run against Helsley tonight, but it was a run scored. But here are the other games in which I'm going to give you all the games in which Ryan Helsley this season has thrown more than one inning, which means he's going out there for a second inning, uh, whether it's, you know, he starts an inning fresh and then gets one out in the the second inning he throws or vice versa. He comes in to cap off an inning and then he throws an entire inning by by himself uh, to follow that up. It's an up, down, up. That's what we're looking at for Ryan Helsley. So more than an inning of work. And I'm going to give you the run totals that he's allowed in those situations. Against Toronto on the 1st of April, inning in two-thirds, no runs. Did allow a couple of hits, but no runs. Two strikeouts. Four, uh, four fifteen against Pittsburgh, inning in a third, no runs. Four twenty-three against Seattle, inning in two-thirds, no runs. 5-3 against Los Angeles Angels, inning in a third, no runs, no base runners. Chicago Cubs on the 8th of May. Inning a third, no runs, no base runners. The 12th of May against Boston, two innings, four strikeouts, no runs, no base runners, no nothing. The 17th against Milwaukee, inning in a third, no runs. So this whole thing about Ryan Helsley can't pitch for a second inning, I think is bananas. Yes, in some of those games, he allowed a walk here and there. He allowed a couple of base hits. That happens. Is he his absolute sharpest every time? Maybe not. But I think it stands to reason that the more you pitch, the more opportunities there would be for the opposition to get at you. But this whole thing about Ryan Helsley can't pitch in a second inning is ridiculous. It is one of the it's one of the most ridiculous narratives that I think Cardinals fans convince themselves of because they like to find the things that they think the manager has done wrong that they can blame him for and find a reason that the team loses a game. Sometimes it's a little bit more gray area than the black and white that I think Cardinals fans want to make things at times. And it's not just Cardinals fans that do this. All fan bases do this. But I'm a guy that covers the Cardinals, and so I interact with a lot of Cardinals fans, and I used to be one myself uh, before this job. So I'm I'm familiar with the, the, the topic at hand, let's say. But I just look at it and go, guys, Ryan Helsley is one of the best relievers in baseball. I know he's had maybe a little bit of an elevated whip, allowing some more base runners this year than you're used to seeing, but still a 3.38 ERA. And he's had some of those games where he's given up some base runners. But he's also had games where he's given up base runners that hasn't come in the second inning of a two-inning outing. Right? You could go up and down the list, and there's been a handful of those games as well. I don't think it is just exclusive to, oh, if he goes in for a second inning, the Cardinals are doomed. Tonight, do I need to remind you, the runner was there automatically, folks. Ryan Helsley did not put Spencer Steer on second base. Rob Manfred did that. And Ryan Helsley... Yes, he threw a wild pitch, but the results of the at-bats that he faced in that 10th inning, he walked a guy and he gave up a fly ball out. That was it, and it ended the game. I understand that there was a game against Los Angeles over the weekend where he was charged with a couple of earned runs, and he did come into a second inning of work that doesn't get registered on the list I just rattled off, 
because he didn't record an out in that second inning. And so, or whatever the case was, I can't remember if he only recorded two outs in the first inning that he pitched and then one out. 1.0 innings was ultimately all he came up with. And yes, in that outing against Los Angeles, it was a bit troublesome there uh, as Gallegos had to come in and save the game. I, I believe that was on Saturday and was able to do so. But I don't think you can look at that game on Saturday and then this game tonight against the Reds and say, well, clearly Helsley cannot pitch in a second inning because there was an example of it happening one time over the weekend and then the Cardinals end up winning that game. And then it happening tonight where he may have had lesser command there in the second inning of work, but he also had to work around a situation where you're going to be more careful, I think, with Tyler Stevenson anyway because you've got a guy on second base and first base is open and so you may walk him uh, to set up the double play potentially as it is, right? So, like, those are things that you're thinking about. I'm not going to give Ryan Helsley all the credit that that was an intentional walk uh, to Stevenson because, again, the wild pitch was problematic, and it is something that ends up uh, hurting the Cardinals pretty substantially there. But ultimately, when I see that runner on second base and you look at the, the left on base for the Cardinals in the ninth and tenth inning and even going back to the eighth inning when they very aggressively used those pinch hitters to try and win the game right then and there, uh, and, and and then we're not able to do it. Those things, to me, are the things that lost the Cardinals the game. Not Ryan Helsley, who looked really sharp in the ninth inning and then gives up a walk and a flyout in the tenth, and they lose the game. I don't think that's something I'm looking to pin on Ryan Helsley, even though you may have seen a bit of a change between what he did in the ninth and what he did in the tenth. I just think the narrative is a little overblown. If Cardinals fans are going to take one game that happened on Saturday and then tonight with the mitigating circumstance of extra innings and the runner being on second automatically and say, clearly Ryan Helsley is not able to do this where he comes out for a second inning because there have been no other examples all year long where he's given up runs in those situations, throwing more than an inning of work. So for me, I don't like the narrative. Yes. If he goes back out there in four days and it happens again, where he looks just lights out dominant in one inning and he goes out for a second inning and just the command completely goes by the wayside we can maybe start to look at it as a trend then. But if you're going to tonight talk the way that a lot of Cardinals fans were and say, Ollie Marmol just doesn't know how to manage a bullpen and he cost the Cardinals this game, I think it's kind of ridiculous. And I saw one comment where people said, you know, I'm sure Ollie does things that help the Cardinals win games, but I don't really notice when that happens, and and I can't think of any. um, But I can sure tell when he loses the Cardinals a game with his bullpen management. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of saying the quiet part out loud that uh, fans don't pay enough attention when the manager deserves credit. And when they think the manager deserves criticism, they're going to be right on top of it. Ollie Marmol does not deserve criticism tonight for really anything that he did, but especially to bring Helsley back out for the 10th. He's your best guy. And what did you want him to do? Blow an additional reliever? Uh, the, I mean, they already used Palante. They used Hicks. They used Gallegos. They used Helsley. You want to use five of the seven relievers available and make sure that there's just nobody tomorrow that's available in a, a series that has three more games in it. And then you go to Cleveland for three over the weekend. I thought it was completely fine to go to Ryan Helsley, go back to Ryan Helsley for the 10th inning. He lacked command a little bit, but that was one walk and then he gets a fly out. There's no reason to think that he wouldn't have been able to settle in it even further uh, if he was given the opportunity, but he ultimately wasn't because the fly out ended the game uh, after the wild pitch advanced the runner to third. So I hate the narrative. I think it's lazy. Uh, I would like to see Cardinals fans be a little better than that. It's okay if you want to say, hey, that's something I'm keeping an eye on because it kind of happened where you saw two versions of him on Saturday against the Dodgers, and then you saw it a little bit tonight. But I think tonight's second inning was so truncated that if you're you're grasping at that to say that's the sign of a trend all of a sudden after all the success that he's had in multi-inning outings earlier this season, I think it's a little premature. And so that's why, for folks that may have seen me kind of bantering back and forth with people on Twitter about it after the game, I don't like the narrative. I don't think it's a fit, especially right now for Ryan Helsley, who uh, has, has by and large, just been really good for the Cardinals and was not the reason they lost today. There's a runner on second base. You have five base runners in the eighth and ninth inning uh, that get stranded, or pardon me, the ninth and tenth inning that get stranded, and they stranded some in the eighth as well. Uh, after the Paul DeYoung double, they don't find a way to get him home. That's six stranded base runners in the final three innings of the game. At that ballpark, that is why you lost the game, not because the inherited runner that nobody put there scored in the bottom of the 10th for the Reds uh, to walk it off 6-5. to five. That's my thoughts on tonight's Cardinals game. Uh, appreciate you guys, as always, for being with me, but we're going to call it right here for this episode of the podcast. Make sure you subscribe to my YouTube channel, 
youtube.com slash at bshafer12. Creeping closer to that 900 mark and then hopefully getting to 1,000 subscribers uh, within a couple of months span. It's been a lot of fun for you guys to support me the way that you have. Would love you to continue doing so by subscribing over on YouTube and liking the content every time you see it pop up. Even if you don't want to watch the video, click on it and give it a quick like. Helps me out more than you can understand. And then make sure you're following along on Spotify and Apple Podcasts as well if you want just the audio-only podcast version of B-Shape Daily. We'll get back to it with some live videos here uh, coming up later this week, but appreciate you guys for tuning in to this uh, recorded good old-fashioned episode of the show. That is going to do it for this edition, and we'll talk to you next time on B-Shape Daily. Peace!